For those that remain and those that are watching online, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to the book of Romans, Romans and chapter 14, Romans chapter 14. It's been three weeks since I preached, and so I've got a lot of preaching stored up. I'm going to hope to stay within the time limit, but I was overtime at the nine o'clock service, and so fasten your chair belts and uh, we'll get through as best we can. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. I'm very grateful that as I planned out the preaching schedule uh, over a year ago, that uh, we've split this chapter up into two parts. There's a lot here, and we want to handle the material uh, very carefully, not rushing over it, uh, not lingering too long, certainly as well, but there's a lot packed into this passage uh, for us here uh, this morning. The key thought for this part of the chapter is the word welcome. It appears in verse 1 and reappears in verse 3. But it has to do with this posture that we ought to have that is a welcoming posture. That in the family of God, we recognize that we come from different backgrounds. We have different stories. We have different ideas and perspectives and come from different ethnicities and have different traditions and yet what unites us what has brought us together is the recognition that we are sinners in need of a savior and the only one who can save us is Jesus Christ the righteous and so that ought to unite us even while there is much that could divide us i wish that I could say that when this pandemic hit, the body of Christ was united, that the body of Christ at large was focusing on Christ, was focusing on the gospel and making disciples, so that when this global reality hit, the Church of Christ rallied together, supported one another, um, backed one another up, encourage one another to keep the main thing the main thing and not to get distracted by endless disputes over things that are not essential that by and large individuals appreciated the fact that the church was united around serving and helping others and sharing Christ's love and holiness and forgiveness and compassion with them and yet what we have found by and large is the exact opposite it isn't interesting that early on in this pandemic, I sensed this division and so filmed a theology forum back in May. I think it was May 24th or May 25th of 2020. That is available on our YouTube channel for you to view. It was there that I did a little micro exegesis of John 17 and then moved into this passage actually and talked about a biblical theology of Christian unity. And while I had no um, aspirations that vast swaths of the Christian community would watch that and be challenged by it, it would seem that things have not gotten better, but they've only gotten worse. In fact, a friend of mine, just yesterday I learned that he was fired from his job for his view on vaccines. A Christian working for Christians lost his job because of his view on vaccinations. 
We are not getting better as a society in being united, and unfortunately, even in the church, we have not been united. We were in many ways, unfortunately, not united going into this, and that has only worsened over time. These things are what the evil one desires to use and unfortunately has used to great effect to divide us, to have us fighting amongst ourselves instead of looking outwards, caring and being compassionate towards others. We are protecting our little piece of territory instead of inviting others into the vastness that is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so again, in God's wonderful providence, we find before us then this passage this morning, and I pray that it is a challenge to you. I pray that it convicts you. That'll be the Holy Spirit's work, not mine. But I also pray that we will be changed as always by it. So follow along with you, if you would, as I read Romans chapter 14, the first 12 verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of God. And so in the first place this morning, right out of the gate in verse 1, we want to see that Paul is talking to the churches in Rome, to the Christians in Rome, about a posture of welcome. He says, welcome him. That ought to be the posture that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ. Quickly, once again, remember the situation to which Paul is writing. He's not visited there. He desires to visit there, but he has not, has not visited there yet. But he knows somewhat of the situation. The situation is thus. In AD 49, Claudius, who was the emperor at the time, expelled all Jews from the city of Rome. So the churches in Rome went from being a mix of Jews and Gentiles to being exclusively Gentile. And so the practices, the culture, the traditions were Gentile traditions removed from any Jewish influence. AD 54, Nero is now emperor instead of Claudius. Jews are welcomed back into the city of Rome. 
Three years has passed. Paul's now writing to the churches in Rome in AD 57. Only three years have gone by since Jews have begun to trickle back into the city of Rome. And their influence, although a minority influence, is being felt at the church at Rome. All of that comes out throughout this entire letter. And certainly here. Because the two things that Paul mentions are things that Jewish Christians would have held on to, the Gentile Christians would not. And the question is, how then do people from different backgrounds with different perspectives, different views on things, who believe even that the views that they have on things are biblically based and biblically true, coexist in the same space at the same time in the same family in unity without judging one another? That's the question that we want to ask and answer this morning. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at how do we interact with each other so that we do not cause each other to sin? How do we honor each other's conscience, both the strong and the weak, in a way that does not cause one another to sin? So Paul has sort of a double answer to the question of how different people with different ideas, different thoughts, different perspectives can coexist in the same space united in Christ. It is what he has been leading up to with this letter. And remember, all of the imperatives of Scripture are based on the indicatives of Scripture. None of this is possible without the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are all sinners, we all think we're awesome, and we all believe that our opinions are the best because we're amazing. So clearly, what we think, everybody else should think too, right? And so we need Jesus Christ as always. Now notice this posture of welcome in the first place. Paul calls us to fully embrace levels of maturity. Notice what he says. For those for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. There are at any given time in any church going to be individuals who are different levels of maturity, different levels, different places, different seasons in their relationship with God. It's similar to children. Our children have matured, hopefully over time, but as they are different ages and in different stages, they have different levels of maturity. We have individuals here at Grace, as every church does, who have had a relationship with, with God through Jesus by the Spirit for a very short period of time. We also, in the same family, have individuals that have had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit for a much longer period of time. And those levels of maturity are going to exist in every church family. And oftentimes our posture is, why are you not where I'm at? Why don't you see things the way I see them? Why haven't you grown up in Christ the way that I have? And so therefore, why are you not where I'm at? And if you're not where I'm at, then I'm going to exclude you, shun you, avoid you. And Paul says the opposite should be true. We ought to fully embrace all levels of maturity. The reality is twofold. One, all of us that name the name of Jesus Christ here this morning and watching online were immature. We all were at a less lower level of maturity than we currently are as we sit here this morning. And when we were at that lower level of maturity, believing things that were not actually biblical, when we needed help and mentoring and discipleship, I hope 
especially if that interaction was here at Grace, that you had a lot of patience, a lot of kindness extended to you. Don't forget that you used to be there. So as you look around and see individuals that are hanging on to things that you do not believe they need to, they are doing things or not doing things, listening to things or not listening to things, reading things or not reading things, going certain places or not going to certain places, that you believe they should be beyond that, remember that you used to be there. And secondly, in many ways, you still are. The one who wrote this letter will say, late in his life, I have not yet attained perfection in Jesus Christ. All of us are still maturing in Christ. All of us, to this day, have areas where we are not like Jesus and are still growing in our relationship with him. And so Paul says our response should be as a family to embrace all levels of maturity. Note well Aquila and Priscilla and their interaction with Apollos. Apollos is a phenomenal speaker. He clearly has the gift of preaching and teaching. And he gets up in front of the congregation at Ephesus and delivers a sermon, and people are, are rallying towards that. But Aquila and Priscilla are sitting there realizing that his understanding of the gospel is wrong, but it's not wrong in the sense that he's a false teacher. He's purposely preaching that which is false or untrue. It's incomplete. He doesn't have the full picture of Jesus. So what do Aquila and Priscilla do? Do they stand up in the middle of the sermon and say, Apollos, that's wrong, you're a heretic. Okay, do they handle it that way? Do they go on Facebook and write a big long rant about how this guest speaker at Ephesus is a moron? Okay, how do they handle it? Thankfully, by God's grace, with grace, patience and kindness. Apollos, can we have you over for lunch? And we want to show you a more excellent way. We want to give you the full details of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And coming at it that way, what happens to Apollos? Rather than becoming discouraged, rather than stalling or even stopping before he gets started, he grows in maturity, grows in his understanding of the gospel, and becomes an even greater preacher of the gospel to the church of God. Is that our posture? Is our posture in the church family towards everyone a welcoming posture? Or does everybody have to believe as we do, think as we do, react as we do, respond as we do, behave as we do, or else we begrudgingly extend them courtesies, but we don't actually call them into our full inner circle. The word here in the original is to fully embrace. So let me ask you, in your inner circle of friends, individuals that you hang out with on, on a consistent basis, are all those individuals exactly like you in the way they think and view life or do you have in your inner circle individuals that frustrate you, that don't agree with you, that aren't on the same page as you, but that you recognize that that makes you stronger, not weaker, that that's a positive and not a negative? Do you invite people into your life who disagree with you on non-essentials, not the essentials of the gospel necessarily, although we can invite those people into our lives as well, but into our inner circle, the people that we seek wisdom from, the people that we seek advice from, do we have in that inner circle individuals that do not see eye to eye with us? If you don't, you've surrounded yourself with fans, not friends. Paul says, welcome all levels of maturity. It makes us stronger, not weaker as the church. Now we have to define what we mean by that. So let's do that. What does he say? 
As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Two things to define what Paul's meaning here. First, what does he mean by weak in faith? Does he mean someone who is not a believer? No, he can't because his advice would be, believe in Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So the advice that he gives in, the, in the, this part of the, of the letter would not be the advice he would give to somebody who does not believe the gospel. So when he says that somebody is weak in faith, he is not saying this is someone who is, who is outside of believing in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation. This is someone who has repented and believed in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation, but they're at a different level of maturity. He is also not talking about somebody necessarily who believes that you have to add to the gospel in order to either earn or gain your salvation or maintain it. He's not necessarily talking to someone who is legalistic. If that were the case, he would probably have handled it as he handled it in the letter to the churches in Galatia, where if you want to read Paul at his finest, <laughs> you could read the letter to the Galatians, and he says, who's bewitched you? How, how have you so soon left off the gospel? And Paul's advice to them is not to get along in unity. Paul's advice to them is, you need to come back to the gospel. You've added to the gospel. So these are not individuals that are not unbelievers and not individuals that are adding to the gospel, but they are believers who have differing opinions on non-essentials. That's what we're talking about when we talk about someone who's weak in faith. And we'll explain it even more, Lord willing, next week. So there are just different individuals that have different perspectives on non-essentials as it comes to doing life. And that's okay. And so they're not adding to the gospel. If they are, they need to be called out and said, you need to believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news, but only the gospel is good news. We can't add to it and can't take it away. The good news is the good news because it, it, it takes seriously the fact that we are sinners and provides us the only solution, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is not then somebody that needs to believe that. They don't even believe that. This is someone who is a fellow brother or sister in Christ but secondly, notice they have opinions. This is a very key word in this passage. They have ideas, thoughts, perspectives on things. Paul's going to mention two. We'll get that in just a moment. And so this is what Paul is talking about. Not the essentials, not the gospel, but non-essentials. Now here's another issue though. Most people believe that everything they believe is essential. We are very poor judges in our own lives of that which is our opinion and that which is fact. Because to us, everything we say and everything we believe is fact. But that's not the case. <laughs> so that we have opinions and we need to be honest that in this area, this is my opinion on this. Based on the research that I've done, based on the scriptures that I have read and understood, this is my opinion on this. And the first step to having a profitable conversation is recognizing that it is an actual opinion and not fact. This is what we are talking about. And then lastly, notice that Paul says, this ought to be then a celebration of unity and diversity. Welcome him, but not to quarrel. Far too often, we engage in a conversation with someone to force them verbally to come over to our side of whatever it is that we're talking about. We must be right, therefore, they must be wrong, and if they're wrong, we have to try to convince them with everything we have that they're wrong 
Therefore, they will change their mind and come over to us who is right. And if they don't, they're stubborn and obstinate, which is kind of ironic because that's what we're being. And, and so we need to sort of avoid them. Well, this person's just a moron. They're, they're just an idiot. They don't know the facts. They're, they're, just, they're just arrogant and prideful and all of these kinds of things. And Paul says, the welcoming is not manipulative. We didn't invite this family or this couple or this individual over to our home to share a meal so that we could change their mind on something where we disagree with them. We embrace them, not that we don't have those conversations, we ought to have those conversations, and again, we'll say more about that in just a moment, but not to quarrel. These fights that we have, these divisions that arise, Sadly, tribalism has been killing us and continues to kill us. I was just talking to a fellow pastor this week, and we noted how many congregations here in Charlottetown and across the island are as the result of believers that couldn't get along. Some of you that have been around for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Baptists typically don't church plant, we split. That's not just sad, folks. That's antithetical to the gospel. That's a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not just we had a little conflict. That's a problem. And we have not only continued to do it all the way up to 2021, we're still doing it, and we're doing it over stuff that does not matter. And Paul's saying, fully embrace those that disagree with you on over non-essentials, but not to have a fight. That's not the point of it. So, what is the second point as we rapidly run out of time? In verses two through six, we have to welcome gray. Where are my black and white people? Black and white thinkers. Where are they? Raise your hands. Who's black and white in here? Okay, we got one. Anybody honest? All right, testify. We got that out there. Perfect. Okay. All right. That's most of us, if we're honest, I think. But there's black and then there's white, brother. This is right, so this is wrong. That's, that's how we're wired, by and large. And what does Paul say? This person who says this and this person who says the opposite are both right. <laughs> we can't handle that. No, 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 no. It's got to be right or it's got to be wrong. And Paul says, no. In some cases, yes, there is right and there is wrong. Is Jesus God? Yes. So a denial of that is wrong. But there are many things, and again this morning, as at nine, I'm purposely being vague. I can talk to you about a laundry list of things that have divided churches and are doing it right now in 2021. But whatever that might be, I'm not talking again, and Paul's not talking about the essentials, but in the non-essentials, two individuals can have opposite perspectives and both can honor God and be thankful to God for those perspectives. And we don't do that well. So, very quickly then, notice there are different levels of maturity. Verse two and then the first part of verse five. 
One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse five, the first part. Each per one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Paul does give examples and he gives two. And we know because of the makeup of the church, primarily these are Jewish examples. So what's going on here? Jews had food laws. And in order to obey those food laws, they needed to know how the food was prepared. Was the animal bled enough fully before eating meat? So prepared the right way. And so some in the church in Rome, in order to avoid eating anything that would violate the food laws, had switched to vegetarianism. Now this is not the same ideology that's behind vegetarianism today or veganism necessarily, but it was done, it existed in the church. And so Paul says, one person eats and one person does not. And then he says in the first part of verse five, there's another example that he gives and it's days. There are many feast days in the, in the culture of Israel and not only the feast days that God had implemented in the book of Leviticus, but they'd added feast days after the story of Esther, the reality of Esther, the feast of Purim, there's other feasts that they had added on. A lot of feasts and festivals in the Jewish culture. But perhaps in particular, what they're talking about here is the Sabbath. A question that today still divides Christians in this 2021. And so there were some in the church that were saying the Sabbath is sacrosanct, it was given by God, it honors God, we must observe it. And there were others that were saying, that's done. Jesus nailed the law to the cross, we don't need to observe the Sabbath anymore. So that's what's existing in the, in the church. These are not matters of the gospel, these are not matters of essentials, these are matters of non-essentials about which people have differing opinions. But notice, even though they are opinions, they are firm convictions. Notice verse 5b, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul's not talking about someone who's wishy-washy. Paul's not talking about somebody that read something on the internet and suddenly came to this conviction two hours ago. Paul's talking about when you talk and discuss things, do you have firm convictions on this? Anyone who does not allow their views to be challenged is vulnerable. If we're going to hold views, we not only ought to begrudgingly allow them to be challenged, we ought to look for them to be challenged. A view only becomes strong when it is challenged and withstands the challenge. Truth is not afraid of questions. So Paul's not, again, he's not talking about just sort of random opinions about things. He is talking about, these are important items. They're not essential, but they're not unimportant. In the third place, notice this posture of welcome. Verse 3a and 4a, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? What is happening in the church in Rome? What has Paul heard? What's filtered back to him? So those who abstain from food or meat in particular are looking at their Christian neighbor who's having a barbecue and as the smell of Montreal steak spice and steak wafts into their nostrils, they're saying, what a, what a pagan retrobate, reprobate. If they love Jesus, they'd eat salad. And then you have an individual who loves steak, is confused that someone would eat the food that their food eats, and is passing judgment on that person and saying, we're free in Jesus, brother. Come on over, have a steak. And Paul's admonition to them is, who are you to pass judgment on somebody else's servant? Are you Lord over them? Do they answer to you? Or do they answer to their master, who is Jesus Christ the righteous? 
Love Peter. And what do we have in one of the final stories of Peter from the Gospels? The end of the Gospel of John. Peter's denied Jesus three times, meets up with Jesus on the beach, goes for a little walk with Jesus. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter knows he gets it. Yes, Jesus, I love you. I screwed up, but I love you. And then to get the heat off, Peter looks at John and says, well, what about him? What does Jesus say to Peter? What's that to you? If I should wish that he would stay alive until I return for a second time, what's that to you, Peter? I'm your master, follow me, and don't worry about your fellow servants in those ways. So is our posture a posture of welcome? So that we are not judging those who live differently than we do in the church family. Not in areas of sin, but in areas of non-essentials. Notice then verse 6. One of the greatest ways we sin against another person is that we believe we know their motives. So Paul says we not only know what the person is doing, we believe we know why they're doing it. But what does he say in verse 6? The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who abstains or eats, eats in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. And the one who abstains gives honor to the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. So what you're saying, Paul, is that someone can eat meat Thank God for that and honor him. And someone cannot eat meat. Thank God and honor God for not eating meat. And they can both coexist in unity in the same family. Yes. Well, who's right? Both are. We can't handle that. But that's what Paul is saying. What is their motivation? Are they doing it to earn God's favor? No. Are they doing it to earn their salvation and maintain their salvation? No. They are honestly doing it with a motivation of, I love God, and so I'm doing this for his glory and in thanksgiving to him. And it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about both of them, all of them, existing together in the family of God. And notice then in the last place, God's posture of welcoming at the end of verses 3 and at the end of verse 4. For God has welcomed him. If God has welcomed everyone into his family and continues to work with everyone and patiently move everyone along to maturity, then we ought to do the same if we're followers of him and and under his lordship. Verse 4b, it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Our salvation is not dependent on us. It is on God who saves and holds us fast. And therefore, when we have any ideas that someone who differs with us on a non-essential is somehow not a believer, that somehow is doing something that God hates, or if he knew what we knew, that he would do it differently, what does Paul say? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld because Jesus Christ the righteous is able to make him stand. Thanks be to God for his patience with us in our moments of immaturity which no longer, no matter how long we've been on the trail, we still have. And we should be the same with those in our church family. In verses 7 to 9, we understand and see that Christ is Lord of all. If we live or if we die, we are the Lord's. Why did Christ die and live again? That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Who is Lord of all? Christ is Lord of all. Jesus left us to do one thing, make disciples 
of him. Why then do we spend most of our time on every platform we can, on social media, YouTube, and otherwise, attempting to make disciples of us? Guys, you could get somebody online to change their position from what they believe to what you believe. Now online, chances are very slim. But you might be able to change somebody's mind on a position that they have to your position on that same thing. And yet they still might be on their way to hell. You are not going to stand before Jesus one day and Jesus is not going to ask you, how many people did you get to change from their political party to your political party? How many individuals were you able to change their mind on this issue, on this thing, to your side of things? Great. No. One question. How many individuals did you tell about me? It is sad that if people were to assess who we are based on our public personas, social media or otherwise, they would think that the thing we care about the most is something other than Jesus. That is a tragedy. Jesus is Lord of all, which helps us then in verses 10 to 12 to put it all together. What does he say in verse 10a? Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you, why do you despise your brother? Christians in Rome, those of you that do not abide by the Sabbath and eat meat, why are you passing judgment on those that don't? Or those that do, I should say. Why are you looking down your nose at them? Saying in your heart, if they love Jesus as much as I did, they wouldn't be hung up on all this Sabbath salad stuff. Why are you doing that, Paul says? Again, not to put a weight on us that we can't carry, understand and appreciate and fully integrate the gospel into your life. You're a sinner who's been gloriously saved only by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. You're not the judge. So why are you up on your high horse as if you're better than anybody? (laughs) Because if you truly understood the gospel, you would know that you're not better than anybody. Conversely, he says, you, why do you despise your brother? You can almost sense that Paul coming as a Jew to his fellow Jews is saying, oh, and you're not off the hook either. My Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, why are you despising your Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ? They have a differing opinion on a non-essential. Why are you despising them in your heart? Why are you looking at in their heart and saying, they don't love Jesus as much as I do? If they love Jesus as much as I did, they would do this or that or abide by this thing or that thing. Paul says, why are you doing that? We're to be fellow disciples, not judges. And then he reminds us, the rest of verse 10 and into verse 12, that we will all be judged. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Isaiah 45, 23, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Number one, then we will be judged. Not whether or not we are Christ's, but it will, there will be an assessment of our service for him. 
And Christ will ask us, and there will be sober reflection, how did you use your Facebook and your Twitter and your Instagram and your other social media platforms? How did you use your YouTube channel? How did you use your conversations with your neighbor, your family, and your friends? How did you use those moments? How did you use your time encouraging those in the body of Christ, especially those that have a differing opinion than you do on things that you hold very dear. James says, what causes wars and fights among you? It's what's inside. I want things done in the church this way. And if they're not done this way, then I'm going to fight. And Paul says, don't do that. What did Jesus leave us to do? Make disciples of him. So lead them to Jesus, not to you. Because you can make disciples of yourself, but that's a very poor Lord and master and one who will always disappoint. I'm not here for anybody to follow me or listen to me. Listen to Jesus, follow him. We will be judged by God. But notice in the second place what's implied, although it's not explicit. The one we're judging will also be judged by their Lord and Master. So let's go worst case scenario. You're right on everything, always. All those other people that are wrong, yeah, who are they also then going to stand before one day? The same Lord that you're gonna stand before one day and give an account. So if you don't correct them this side of of glory, it'll all pan out in the end. They'll, they'll, They'll be before Jesus. So can you focus less on changing their mind and focus more on embracing them as part of your church family and working with them for the cause of Christ instead of against them for the cause of you? Grace Baptist, I know these are hard things to be said. I appreciate that but they are necessary things to be said. I do wanna say, thank you. It has not been a burden to pastor during these last 18 months, but for many of my brother pastors, it has not only been a burden, it has caused them to not only consider, but in some cases leave the ministry. How do you pastor a church where half say you must do this And the other half says you must do the opposite. That grieves me. I have not found that here at Grace. There have been some who have left for different reasons. There's been some of that, but it's been few and far between. By and large, my inbox has not been filled with angry emails. I have not received angry phone calls. Thank you. However, Does that mean that we have nailed unity? (laughs) No. We always have to be aware of it. We always have to be fighting for it. And we always have to be desiring to point people to Jesus and not to us. So let us remain united and let us encourage others to do the same. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for the wisdom of your word, for your servant Paul, the way in which he has laid it out for this church that is divided, 
Father, church divisions did not begin in the modern era. There were church divisions from the beginning. So much so that in the book of Acts in chapter 15, the church and the entire missionary endeavor comes to a screeching halt and everybody gathers in Jerusalem to figure things out before they continue. Father, there's divisions in almost every church, if not every church that Paul wrote to. Certainly in Corinth, definitely in Galatia, and here in Romans. And so, Father, while that should give us pause, it should also give us hope that there is a better way. If believers before us have struggled, and Father, we are not alone in that struggle, and yet it ought to be a struggle. Far too often we give in to just expressing our thoughts, our opinions, our articles, people that agree with us. We love to invite others into our echo chamber. That is not the way of Christ. And so Father, help us to do better. Help us perhaps even this week to reach out to someone that we know disagrees with us on something that we feel is important and have a God-honoring conversation with them where we honestly exchange ideas, where we bring each other to you and to Scripture and commit that even if we end that conversation still disagreeing, we have a bigger mission. And the mission is not to get everybody to agree with us on every position that we hold. The, the mission is to share you with everybody that we know. And so, Father, help us not to come to the end of our days having made disciples of us, but may our only desire to be, is to be make disciples of you. Give us strength, give us wisdom, give us patience. Father, soften our hearts, help us to see what in our lives are in fact opinions and not the facts that we believe them to be. May we be humble, Father. And may we fully embrace those in our church family here at Grace for our benefit. The Christian life is not to be a competition. It is a community with one goal, your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.